Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. How long have you used body power? All of my life. Okay. How do you use the body powers? Ask Franco in my panties, in the front and the back. Okay. And how often do you sprinkle it in your panties? Every day. Mornings, when we got up, mm-hmm. every morning, I'm, my mother made us use it. My mother, my sister, and I. Jacqueline Fox was a loyal Johnson & Johnson customer for 40 years. She'd go through a big bottle of first baby powder, then shower to shower every couple of months. You mentioned that you, you recall the advertising for shower to shower. Yes, ma'am. Just shower to shower. Okay. Johnson and Johnson. What do you recall about those advertisements? They had songs. <laughs> I remember seeing for shower to shower and Johnson, they got on television the shower to shower. Have you had your sprinkle today? I remember that. Uh, the Johnson Baby Power had it's a feeling you never outgrow. Johnson's Baby Powder is a feeling you never outgrow. Pure Johnson's Baby Powder from Johnson & Johnson. It's a feeling you never outgrow. I'm Natasha Del Toro, and this is Verified. In the last episode, we heard about how, as far back as the 1970s, scientists were studying the possible link between talc, asbestos, and cancer. Johnson & Johnson knew about those studies, but always insisted that its product was absolutely pure and safe, that the tests and studies were flawed, or that other research found there wasn't a link between talc and cancer. Even so, by the early 90s, baby powder wasn't selling as well as it used to. In an internal document from 1992, J&J blamed negative publicity from the health community for the decline in sales, including the, quote, cancer linkage. But in the same document, J&J identified a way to boost sales. It wanted to investigate, quote, ethnic opportunities. In other words, to target Black and Latina women, who the company knew were already among Baby Powder's most loyal customers. Women like Jackie Fox. Happy birthday to Marvin. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Marvin. Happy birthday. Today is your 
birthday. Happy birthday. Jackie Fox called her son Marvin on his birthday every year. Never missed a single one. Marvin and Jackie. They'd almost grown up together. Jackie had him when she was 16 and left high school to raise him. I guess my friends and schoolmates um, had older parents. And, you know, definitely it was pretty noticeable that, you know, my mom was younger than most. Marvin remembers how tough it was for his mom raising him on her own. They started off in the projects of Birmingham, Alabama. But then Jackie enrolled in night school when Marvin was about seven. She got a GED and then her assistant nursing license. Eventually, she got them their own apartment, then a house. And she stocked each place they lived with Johnson's baby powder and shower to shower to help keep them cool. Just remember the heavy usage of it then uh, on both my grandmother uh, and my mom. And it's just a known product, you know, especially with, you know, people of color. We didn't grow up with air conditioning. We grew up in a situation where if it's hot, it's hot. You just got to deal with it. That means you're, you're sweating. This is the, 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 the poor people's cologne. People in poverty can get a 12-cent bottle of baby powder, sprinkle it on your body, and you're just as fresh as the next person. Marvin and his mom had this Sunday morning ritual. As they were getting dressed up for church, she'd dust him from head to toe with baby powder. Just to make sure it was on me, she would put it on me herself. Underarms, anywhere that, that could be moisture or I'm going to sweat. My mom would have me walking out like a powder of smoke walking out the house on the way to church. Baby powder was not just a part of his family. It was a part of his neighborhood. It's like, you know, if we went next door to borrow a cup of sugar from the neighbor, it was nothing to also go next door and say, hey, can I borrow your, your baby powder? We just ran out for the day. Johnson & Johnson had research showing that some of their most loyal customers were people of color, like Jackie and Marvin. And so when sales of talc products started falling because of health fears in the early 90s, Jane Jay looked to Black and Latino customers and tried to increase their use of baby powder. Jane Jay was considering many different ways to boost sales of its talc products. But it's the advertising to Black and Latina women that we want to focus on in this episode. As our team worked through all those Johnson & Johnson internal documents, we found plans to target Black and Latino communities in the 1990s and as recently as 2008. One brainstorming document from 2004 suggested the idea of using Black celebrities like Patti LaBelle and Aretha Franklin as spokespeople for Shower to Shower to help move away from the idea of, quote, grandma's powder. Now... Companies do targeted marketing all the time. So was this any different? I would love to go through some of the documents with you. Uh, if you have them a bit in front of you. I do. This is Dr. Jerome Williams from Rutgers University. He studied multicultural marketing, when it works, and when it strays into something more problematic. The strategy in and of itself is not harmful. That's typical marketing strategy. Who buys my product? 
Is it men? Is it women? Which age group buys my product? Uh, is it younger people, older people? Which racial ethnic group buys my product? That all goes into setting up where the market is. In these documents, Jane Jay also talked about targeting overweight women, women who exercise a lot, and women in hot climates, like in the South. They were basically going after women who sweat a lot. In one proposal, they talk about doing a radio campaign targeting, quote, curvy Southern women, 18 to 49. They also had a plan to target African-American and overweight women. Does that seem fairly typical to you? A lot of marketers do it. Uh, I've, I've been involved with a lot of marketers that look at the barbershops and the beauty salons as places to go to get consumers at a time when they can market to them. For the most part, you try to identify those segments that are really heavy users of the product. Then you develop advertising campaigns. It may be TV, radio, magazine, billboards. It may be word of mouth campaigns. It may be trying to get spokesmen, people who are well-known celebrities who that market might uh, really be attracted to. Those are all part of a targeting marketing effort. So all that, totally normal. But Williams says it gets more complicated when there are questions about a product's safety. So the thing that's different about it is when you introduce this element that the product itself has some inherent harm that could come to the customer. So how do you treat that? The situation is very common that you have a product that many people like, they use, uh, but you may have a situation where they're not fully aware of all the effects that the product might have. And now the question becomes, whose responsibility is that? Is it the consumer's responsibility or is it the marketer's responsibility? I, I don't believe in it's a total buyer beware marketplace. You know, we're putting the product out there and you just have to choose among the products that are out there and whatever harmful effects there are, you know, you've, that's your choice. I, I don't believe in that. Johnson Johnson, of course, has always said its talc products are completely safe. But let me give you some additional context here. In 2006, the agency that does cancer research at the World Health Organization said that perineal use of baby powder, essentially sprinkling it in your underwear, could possibly cause cancer. It wasn't saying there was a definite link, but it was enough for Johnson & Johnson's supplier to include a warning with its talc. Jane j decided not to put a similar warning on its powders. Then in 2008, there's this other slide presentation that they are talking about targeting, again, um, African-American women. It, it does make it problematic when you combine all these factors together. You know, it behooves you to really ask yourself, is this in the best interest of that segment and of society? So there's a consumer group like African-American women who are over-consumers of that product. And then the question becomes, are you going to pile on? That's lack of a better term, you know, there are already harmful effects from the product. Now I'm going to pile on and just marketing it to them even more. And I think that's something that gives you pause for a marketer that would take that approach. And Williams says the more vulnerable that the targeted consumer is, the more cause for alarm there may be. Would there be specific vulnerabilities for uh, the minority populations that they were targeting? You know, I've looked at that question a lot and, uh, 
In certain instances, I would say yes. In other instances, I would say no. I think that what's confounded here, let's, let's say people who are from a lower socioeconomic demographic might be considered more vulnerable. And if you have a larger number of people from a racial ethnic group that are in a lower socioeconomic class, then that increases the vulnerability, not necessarily just because they're African-American, but because we may have so many more African-Americans in the overall class of being in a lower socioeconomic demographic. Jane Jay didn't respond to our questions about its marketing or any other questions we put to it for this podcast. But in the past, the company has defended its strategy. A spokesperson told Reuters last year that, quote, suggesting that Johnson & Johnson targeted a particular group with a potentially harmful product is incredibly offensive and patently false. But Jane Jay's marketing strategy has caught the attention of attorneys general in both New Mexico and Mississippi. In separate lawsuits, they've alleged J&J misled consumers about the safety of its talc products and specifically called out the company's efforts to target Black and Latina women. Initially, my response was, oh man, this is baby powder, you know, this is Johnson Johnson. This is a company that we respect. Um, but when I began to look at the documents, and particularly when I saw a series of marketing documents, those documents were targeting Southern African-American women. You know, and that's what just made my blood boil. This is Jim Hood. He was the Attorney General of Mississippi from 2004 until early 2020. And he's the one who filed Mississippi's lawsuit against J&J in 2014. They realized that the sales were decreasing because people were beginning to see that talc uh, caused cancer. And so they began to target uh, audiences they thought wouldn't know any better, African-Americans and uh, Hispanic. Uh, women, particularly in the South, because it's a hotter climate. And so when I saw that, that's what really flew all over me. And that's why I was the first attorney general to file suit. The heart of Mississippi's case is that Jane Jay violated the Consumer Protection Act, that it misled consumers about the safety of its talc products. They're in for a a lick and they're they're due it. I mean, I've handled, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of cases dealing with companies, pharmaceutical companies and, you know, insurance companies and Wall Street banks. But this is some of the most heinous documentation to support, you know, uh, a case that I've seen. And that's why Hood says J&J's targeting of Black women, of Latino women, of overweight women in the South, it really hit a nerve with him. I mean, for a, a company that's known worldwide, of being a, a good corporate citizen, for them to know and target people that are in poor areas and things like that, that's, that's as bad as it gets. This picture is a picture of young Marvin and young Jackie. Um, I was 18 in this picture, 18 years old. After high school, Marvin knew his mom didn't have the money for him to go to college, so he joined the Navy. He served in Desert Storm on a ship in the Middle East. And after four years, he left the Navy and he moved to Florida. He got married 
and he had a son and a daughter. Now I got a new baby boy and got to keep him dry. Don't want him to have baby rashes. So um, what goes hand in hand with that? Baby powder. And of course, Johnson & Johnson baby powder. Jackie was so happy to have him back and loved her grandbabies, as she called them. She didn't mind that they lived five hours away because they talked almost every day. And she had her dog, a poodle mix named Dexter, to keep her company. But one day, Jackie was playing with Dexter when he started acting funny. She was standing in front of me. And he would cry. He want to jump up on me. And then I seen this guy on television say his dog had saved his life. So I told Dexter, I sit on my hands, told him to come up here. So he came, jumped up on me. And he was sniffing, just sniffing all around and crying. I said, something must be wrong with me. I called my girlfriend. I told her, I said, Dexter, I can strike Jackie felt completely fine, but strange as it sounds, she thought that her dog was trying to tell her something, like he could sense something about her that she didn't know. She went to a doctor who found fluid in her lungs and sent her to the hospital right away. Doctors there suspected cancer, but they couldn't find it, test after test, until they saw something in her ovaries. Ironically, it was around April, April 1st, uh, exactly in 2012, when she actually told me what the actual diagnosis was. And I'm thinking, April 1st, is this April Fool's mom? Are you playing playing tricks on me? Is this a joke? You can't be serious. She had several operations to remove her tumors, her spleen, and then a hysterectomy. During the chemo that followed, she and Marvin talked on the phone for hours. I would still joke and, and make her laugh. And, you know, I could hear her on the other side of the phone, like she had to put the phone down. And I hear her coughing in the background. Then she'd come back to the phone and she'd be like, stop, you got me dying. I'm hurting so bad, but I'm laughing so, so hard at the same time. But at the end of, the, at the end of that call, um, she was. She would always tell me, no matter how much pain she was in or how much it hurt her to laugh, um, that she needed that. And during one of their calls in early 2013, she told Marvin that she had a surprise for him. By then, she'd finished her treatments. She said, I got some news, but I'm going to send it to you in the mail. I'm like, so now you're going to make me wait snail mail with whatever this news is that you're about to send me. But sure enough, she mailed it, and it came in the mail. I said, Mom, I got this envelope. You told me to call you, you know, before I open it. I said, it's here. And she was like, well, open it. <laughs> so, so I opened it, and I didn't know what the hell I was reading at first. So I'm like, what is yeah, It was numbers, and what is this? It's from your doctor. Says, is, is this what I think it is? She said, yes. She said, it's gone. No more cancer. Cancer Cancer-free.
In 2013, just before Christmas, Jackie Fox was watching TV when she saw an ad about baby powder. But this one was very different from the ads that she'd seen before, with their cute jingles and promises to keep her fresh and dry. No, these kinds of ads were about the possible connection between talc and ovarian cancer. Jackie thought about it, then picked up the phone and called the number at the bottom of the screen. Now, Jackie didn't tell Marvin for a few months that she was talking to lawyers, that she was planning to sue Johnson & Johnson. She was working with Alan Smith, who'd also represented Dean Berg in her lawsuit. And I remember her saying, you know, I got to do this for for you and my grandbabies. I got to continue to do this for for you and the kids because, you know, I plan to see, you know, see them graduate, you know, high school and I plan to see them getting married and, you know, I can't I plan to see my great grandbabies when they come to this world. Before Jackie's case went to trial, Jane Jay's legal team wanted to know everything about her baby powder use. In a taped deposition, she told them all about how her mother taught her to use baby powder. You don't use that Johnson & Johnson baby powder. You don't use it. Mama didn't play. You don't put that powder on you every day in the morning before you go to school. And at night, when you take that bath, you put that powder on when you lay down and go to sleep. So when she saw Jane Jay's ads for baby powder, it felt like they were affirming something that she already knew. And other than recalling that they had songs, what else do you recall about the advertisement? They were they were good. <laughs> <laughs> and why were they good? They were good because they was to help you stay fresh and clean, and we were raised up on them, on Johnson & Johnson, so I just felt like my mama know what she was talking about. <laughs> Johnson's baby powder keeps anybody's baby smooth and fresh. As the lawyers were preparing for their case in the summer of 2014, Jackie got some bad news her cancer had returned. Marvin was scared, but he did everything he could to keep up his mom's spirits, including surprise visits. But by the fall of 2015, the cancer had spread and there weren't any more treatments that would help. Jackie was in the hospital and decided to go home to her own bed. Marvin drove from Florida to be with her. I climbed into bed with her, and we started watching a marathon episodes of Family Feud, laughing as Steve Harvey make jokes about these crazy answers these people are given on Family Feud. As the evening wore on, Jackie was in more and more pain. A hospice nurse came in with stronger painkillers. But Jackie died shortly after. 
The nurse told Marvin his mother was gone. I remember just running out the front door and just screaming. It was not supposed to happen that fast. I needed more time with her. At first, in his grief, Marvin didn't want anything to do with the lawsuit. But a couple of months later, Jackie's lawyer called with a court date. Marvin thought it'd be years before the case went to trial. He was tempted to call the whole thing off. But then he thought about what his mom would want. She specifically said she was doing this so other women didn't have to go through what she was going through. So... That was a very strong statement that she made. And at the end of the day, it was um, the number one statement that brought me to continue with the lawsuit once my mother passed away. And so in February 2016, Marvin headed to Missouri for the trial. And sitting in court, he heard the lawyers lay out her case, her illness, every detail about what she went through. And then he heard his mother's voice in the sworn testimony recorded six months before her death. Okay, now, it's photograph number 25. Who's this crowd? That's me mm-hmm. with the red, and that's Marlon next to me. That's my two grandchildren and my mother. Okay, and the next picture... <laughs> That's Dexter. That's the famous Dexter. Uh-huh. Dexter Poole and Megan, my grandbaby. Okay. I was an absolute wreck because this is my first time hearing my mother's voice since she died. First time hearing how she felt about the lawsuit. First time hearing her say that she was scared. I went through a whole box of tissues <laughs> doing her deposition. As you remember, everyone was passing me tissue from the left, from the right. Someone tapped me on my shoulder from behind. There's more tissue. Remember those J&J marketing plans that I talked about earlier? Alan put them in front of the jury, showing them how J&J had marketed directly to Black and Latina women. Here he is questioning Lorena Tolofsky, who worked in R&D specializing in baby products for Johnson & Johnson. She also testified for J&J during Dean Berg's trial. So according to this document, a major opportunity in 1992 to increase volume in 1993 was to target African-American and Hispanic women because they had high indices for using talc-based body powders. Is that correct? What this is saying is that... um um, African-American, presumably women and Hispanic, of course it could be women and men, uh, really do enjoy using Johnson's baby powder and understanding uh, their, their cultural disposition to using baby powder would be an effort of you know, advertising and or marketing campaign, campaigns, etc., 
Um, keeping it in perspective, though, I mean, we're talking about uh, a percentage of powder users relative to the whole category of powder users, um, if you will. But Tolofsky defended the company, saying studies hadn't been able to prove that talc caused the cancer. The body of literature, again, over about you know, several decades, um, and there are different types of studies, um, show different things, depending on the study. And essentially, taken as a collective weight of the evidence, they do not show a link a causal link, a dose-response link, a biological effect associated between talc body powders and ovarian cancer. That's remarkably similar to what she said at Dean Berg's trial. Jane J. Lawyers also brought in witnesses to cast doubts on whether there was talc in Jackie's tissues. They also suggested that Jackie could have had some of the risk factors for ovarian cancer— She'd had a period of infertility when she was young, and she'd never been tested for genetic mutations that are believed to increase the risk for developing breast and ovarian cancer. But of course, Marvin didn't buy it. As far as he was concerned, J&J was to blame for his mother's death, and listening to the trial testimony only made him more sure. Sitting in court <laughs> and looking at these documents, I mean, this is like in writing, black and white, no gray area, and not share that with the public or your consumers who's buying these these, these items. Um, I was mind blown. You know, any doubt I had at that point did not exist. Any skepticism I had at that point, gone. After almost three weeks of trial, the jury went off to deliberate. They were back in just four hours. I mean, we were we were nervous. Um, I think we we're holding hands as they begin to read the verdict. Johnson and Johnson was at fault that they were guilty with the verdict and a total award of seventy-two million dollars. And I think like what well, I was I was like what 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 what, what did what did they just say? I was like, wow. And then I was speechless. The jury ruled against Jane Jay on all the issues. They said it failed to put a warning on its products and was therefore negligent. That its actions were responsible for Jackie's wrongful death. And there was a conspiracy within the company to keep information about talc's dangers away from its customers. Jane Jay's talc supplier, Ameris, was also named in the suit. But the jury did not find it guilty on any of the charges. Obviously, we were thrilled. And I do remember after that trial, looking over at the defense attorney that had tried the Berg case, and he turned white as a ghost. It was a great day. I think I did a little dance in the hallway. <laughs> I wanted to scream and yell. Because um, at that point you felt like, wow, you know, we are we are really about to make a difference. That this is only the start of something much, much more major. 
As Marvin and the lawyers were leaving the courthouse, they ran into some of the jurors on their way out. They gave Marvin hugs and said they were sorry for what his mother went through. And I think I remember um, one of my attorneys asking them a question about what was the deciding factor for them to make the decision. Like the time frame as far as, you know, how long did it take you to make that decision that you made? And they said that they have been new to the decision, that it wasn't a last-minute thing. They knew a week prior to the final verdict that Johnson Johnson were guilty. They said what took them the longest to decide was the amount of the award. Marvin and Jackie's other heirs still haven't seen any of the money the jury awarded her. Johnson and Johnson appealed the decision, arguing the case had been brought in the wrong jurisdiction and won. The case will have to be retried. Still, Dean Berg and Jacqueline Fox were among the first women to challenge Johnson & Johnson in U.S. courts, alleging baby powder contributed to their ovarian cancer. Two women, with limited resources, took on one of the biggest corporations in the world. Two juries said the company had been negligent, and that negligence caused their cancer. Cases against J&J began to snowball. By the end of 2017, the year after the Jackie Fox verdict, there were more than 6,000 plaintiffs with talc lawsuits. J&J has won its share of cases, but each one that's gone to trial has brought more awareness of the possible link between talc and cancer. More people wondering, could this product have been making me sick? Some of those people looking for answers, have picked up the phone and called Johnson & Johnson's customer service line. We were all taken, you know, into a big meeting and and talked to about the Johnson baby powder cases that we were going to start hearing about um, were to tell these consumers that, you know, be empathetic to their cause and to their plight with cancer, but to tell them that Johnson & Johnson is perfectly safe. They do not have asbestos in their products. That's coming up next time. Stay with us. I'm Natasha Del Toro, and this is Verified. Dust Up, our second season of Verified, is reported by Sandra Bartlett and Jim Morris. It's written and produced by me, Natasha Del Toro, Sandra Bartlett, Tracy Samuelson, Suzanne Reber, and senior producer Dan Bloom. Additional production by Grant Hill and Claire Rawlinson. Our editors are Peter Clowney, Tracy Samuelson, and Ellen Weiss. Engineering by Casey Holford and Dan Bloom. Our theme and original music are by Allison Leighton Brown. Special thanks to the many women and men who spoke with us on and off the microphone about this story, which spans decades. Verified is created by Suzanne Reber and executive produced by Suzanne Reber, Ellen Weiss, Peter Clowney, and Chris Bannon. The show is produced by the Scripps Washington Bureau in collaboration with Witness Docs, a Stitcher network. If you want to listen to early releases of our Verified episodes, sign up for Stitcher Premium at stitcherpremium.com. 
you can use promo code WITNESS for one month free. There's so much for you to discover about this story and what's coming up on the show. You can find us on Twitter at Verpod and at VerifiedPod on Instagram and Facebook. And if you have a story to tell us, send us a voicemail or an email to VerifiedPod at Stitcher.com. If you like the show and believe in this kind of storytelling, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It'll help more people discover Verified. Thanks for listening.